As we face ever busier lives, it often seems that we have to cut down on uh, the small pleasures of life in order to get everything done. Certainly for myself and for many, sleep is one of those things, small pleasures that uh, seem to be spending a lot less time on these days. However, neglecting sleep patterns may cause serious health problems. Uh, research by Professor Franco Capuccio has looked at uh, some of the risks that we may be putting ourselves at by not getting enough sleep. Franco, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. What are the sort of problems that I may be storing up for myself by not getting my full quota of sleep hours? Right, this is quite interesting because we don't know exactly how much sleep each of us need to function properly. Definitely there is um, uh, growing evidence that when you deprive yourself of the right amount of sleep that your body needs over a sustained period of time, you may face some consequences which are within the sphere of the um, your uh, daily activities in terms of uh, behavioural uh, functions as well as performance functions. Um, so the consequences in the short term may be quite varied, uh, can um, affect your alertness. Of course, mm-hmm. you, you, you will feel tired, and tiredness is not exactly what we mean by uh, uh, impaired functions. Uh, daytime sleepiness is more the kind of uh, problem we face mm. when you don't sleep much over a sustained period of time, as I say. Um, you will not be as alert as you are usually. Your attention may fail occasionally. Your concentration will be impaired. Your working memory can also be affected. So at the end of the day, all your executive functions may mm. be impaired. And it depends on what sort of job you do. It may affect your performance as well. So we're not talking about um, uh, tiredness following it on a Monday morning following a hard weekend. This is something that's sort of more symptomatic. Yes, it's slightly different. We want to make sure we, we differentiate between what is a, a standard fatigue or tiredness mm. that we all experience after perhaps a day out or, as you say, as, a, as an odd weekend, from what is excessive daytime sleepiness, mm. which is a condition it's a symptom of a difficulty maintaining wakefulness when you ought to have it. Mm. Uh, for instance, if you imagine you were in a situation that you were a professional driver and you were affected by daytime sleepiness, all your functions would be impaired and the risk of errors uh, in your daily functions would lead to serious consequences. Mm. Now, we have seen on, on, on the news over the last 10, 15 years how important it is to... Uh, have a good night's sleep before you drive. HGV drivers are now uh, asked to check they don't suffer from sleeping problems. Mm -hmm. And lots of road accidents are due to excessive daytime sleepiness, in part due to lack of sleep on the same period of time. Mm. Um, You also talk about, in some of the research, that there's a possible link between um, a lack of sleep and obesity. Yes, this is, this is the other growing um, evidence which is accumulating mainly from the United States mm-hmm. and we are here at Warwick charged with the view that we ought to create more evidence base in Europe and in the UK to back up some of these findings. Mm-hmm. If anything, because the pattern of uh, 24-7 society which has originally started in the US mm-hmm. Uh, is being exported all over the world, as, as you know. And we want to see whether there are any differences between continents or whether this is a more of, of a standard pattern we were expecting to see here. And what has been um, accumulating over the period of time is the evidence that if you recurrently 
are deprived of sleep. In other words, if you sleep less than you ought to mm. on a long-term basis, there are not only short-term consequences, as I mentioned to you, which can be uh, reversed once mm. you catch up on your sleep, but there may be long-term consequences which are related to an increased uh, occurrence of chronic disease. The chronic diseases we're talking about are obesity, mm-hmm. diabetes, hypertension, leading eventually to an increased uh, occurrence of heart disease and strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very early days to really uh, create a cause-effect relationship link. Yeah. However, as far as obesity is concerned, uh, the evidence is clearer because there are some mechanisms which are related to the lack of sleep which may lead to obesity. Mm. For instance, when you don't sleep as much, some of your hormones change on a regular basis, and the hormones that may be affected by a lack of sleep are hormones um, really regulating your appetite and your hunger, basically. Mm. The two hormones that are affected are one called leptin, which is produced by the fat tissue, mm. the fat cells, and another hormone is produced by the stomach called ghrelin. Now, if you just imagine a seesaw mechanism whereby when when leptin goes up, ghrelin goes down, mm. and vice versa, in relation to stimuli which leads to an increase or decrease in appetite, you can imagine that when you are in a situation of um, um, uh, hunger, what you do, you'll have a stimulus which will uh, raise the level of ghrelin from your stomach, telling your brain mm. that you need more food and more energy. At the same time, we'll send a message to leptin to be shut off in order to uh, allow you to store as much energy as possible. Mm. Vice versa, if you are in a situation of plentiness, the leptin will uh, shoot off just to tell your brain to stop eating and the ghrelin will shut down. So this is the normal CSO mechanism. Mm -hmm. Now when you go into sleep deprivation, the sleep deprivation will affect this particular mechanism. It will tell the brain, wrongly, that uh, you... You're hungry. You're hungry. So you tend to eat more. And that, I think, has been shown to be related to obesity, of course. Mm. So that's one of the clear mechanisms. We're trying to study more in detail how this... Let's bring this back to sort of basics for Mm. those who sort Mm. of don't fully understand the science of sleep. Mm. Why is sleep important? What does sleep allow your body to do? Sleep allows your body to recover from the daily activities. Now, if you imagine when when you are awake... Your muscles move, your uh, burnout calories, you, your brain is very active. And you can imagine you've got sort of battery type mm. of system. Uh, at some stage, your body will need to rest for a moment and recover. Now, sleep is a very complex uh, physiological mechanism, whereby all different functions of the body, including particularly the brain, mm. which is quite a, a still mysterious uh, part of the body, to discover, all these functions tend to recover. For instance, when you sleep, you go through different phases, mm. as you probably know. Many people know you go to the non-REM phase and you go to the REM phase. REM stays for rapid eye movement phase. And throughout the night, you have several cycles in which you go through a deep phase of sleep with non-REM and then some more superficial but more um, vulnerable state of REM. The REM phase is one when your eyes move, when you really tend to have a total muscle paralysis. Mm. So your muscles totally relax. Um, and, and, and that, by the way, is the time when you dream. Yeah. Um, so that is a time of total recovery. Now, if you have less and less of that, 
uh, you will have obviously uh, less time to recover for other functions. In addition, for instance, during that time, the blood pressure will go down substantially during the sleep. If you don't sleep as much, your body will be subjected to a higher level of blood pressure throughout the day, mm. what we call a blood pressure burden. And that has been suggested to be related to the greater risk of developing, for instance, hypertension, uh, heart disease and stroke for those who sleep less than they should. There's some suggestion, I guess, that um, the, the, that human beings are more attuned to actually having two sleeps a day. Is that is that the case? I mean, you sort of think about I'm thinking about the kind of siesta time in Spain, where um, if I'm not getting enough sleep in the evening, that perhaps sort of an hour's kip in the afternoon actually is is going yes. to top up my my sleep quota. Yes. Is that actually effective, or are we better off getting a good night's sleep? Hmm. I think there's no substitute to a good night's sleep. That, that's to start with. However, uh, given that society is pushing us to, to, to change our patterns, and unfortunately I've just heard a few weeks ago, uh, actually read on the newspaper, that the new uh, Spanish government has finally uh, imported the continuous working hours throughout mm-hmm. the day with no siesta. So even the, the Spaniards have really ruled out the siesta. It was the last country in Europe to, to hit that. So they will work from 9 till 5 mm-hmm. with no break at lunchtime. Is that good or not? I think it's been shown that if you are uh, sleep-deprived or if you don't sleep as much during the night, short naps are good to Mm -hmm. allow your body to recover some of those functions, as I mentioned, which might be impaired by a sustained sleep deprivation. But is that sustainable over a long period of time? Well, I think it depends how deprived Mm. you are and what job you do. Definitely uh, there are now indications, for instance... In, um, uh, as you probably know, one of the category uh, at risk are the shift workers. Yeah, uh, they suffer most because they have to change their uh, biological clock in order to work at night mm-hmm. and um, and be alert and, and awake throughout the, the the hours where the body senses that should be asleep. Uh, and doctors is a one category have been subjected to very long hours of shift. Mm. Um, now, mo- very recently uh, in the United States, a um, working group led by Harvard um, have completed a, a, a five years program of investigation into the effects of uh, different shift hours in doctors on call. Mm. And they've really revealed what we all suspected, but had never been shown before in a control study, that the uh, amount of medical errors of uh, that doctors face when they go into the uh, ordinary long shift mm. up, up to 24 hours on call is about 36% higher than uh, when compared to doctors who were subjected to a reduced or control mm. um, shift hours no more than 13 hours. Yeah. In addition, the, the self-harm of that practice of the extended working hours onto doctors was extreme as they monitored a number of, of uh, measures uh, of outcomes, including, for instance, the, 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 the car, uh, car accidents or the near-miss accidents that doctors faced when they were uh, coming off the shift to go home. Mm. And there was almost a five-fold increase in near-miss accidents, but mm. two-fold increase in, in car accidents. So you can imagine it's a harm to patients and harm to yourself. And this is a category at the high risk, of course, the doctors. You know, if you were to, to, to see a doctor at night, would you want to ask him how much sleep he had the night <laughs> before? Uh, uh, I would, if I, if I were a patient yeah. uh, today. Now, in the UK, we're now introducing this sort of um, idea with in the, the 
the initiative we have at Warwick with Professor Peel, myself and others uh, is to introduce in conjunction with the Harvard team a study in the UK to study the, the pattern of um, uh, shifts that UK doctors are subjected to and how we can improve mm. towards what European directives have already identified as a final target of a maximum of 48 hours mm. work per week by 2009. So this is a golden opportunity for us to test that a change in the, in, in, in the culture mm. of shift work, bearing in mind the importance of uh, sleep and excessive sleepiness when you are mm. sleep-deprived, has on activities like the medical profession, yeah. uh, I think is quite welcome for us. Yeah. I suppose it's it's difficult though, um, because I think um, sort of there are some very famous examples of people who were able to operate very effectively on very very little sleep. I'm thinking of the, the most famous one, of course, being Margaret Thatcher's four hours of uh, sleep a night and running the running the country. Um, and you you said right at the start that, it's, that sleep patterns are very personal, yes. and the amount of, of sleep that people need is very personal. Um, is there a kind of optimum amount of sleep that we should be getting? Right. Uh, um, the clear answer, I don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, if you look at studies since 1910, uh, and these are US data, uh, the average amount of um, sleep per night has, dec- has decreased from over nine hours per night in 1910 mm. to less than seven hours in uh, 2004. Uh, in the UK... Uh, only one study has been uh, published, but we have some data showing that on average uh, British people sleep uh, just under seven hours per week. And you can imagine there is a huge variation around this mm. mean value. Yeah. You know, people sleep up to you know, four hours, pe- people can sleep 12 or 14 hours. Now, uh, within the, the, the experts in the sleep, the concern is both for the short sleepers, but as well as for the long sleepers. Mm. And without going into great detail, but of course, people who sleep too much may be affected by diseases which tend to uh, make them sleep too much. For instance, people with depression sleep too too much, so that is not a good idea. If you just look, so you at can it, get too much sleep. Yes, and so looking just the duration of sleep is not a good measure mm. of what is bad or what is good. Um, going back to Mrs. Thatcher, of course, yes, there are the single examples. Uh, without going into the politics, we don't know, first of all, whether Mrs. Thatcher had several naps throughout the day to allow her to recover and be effective. A- and the other judgment is whether uh, her functions were all right. <laughs> I will leave to the different people with different political beliefs to, to decide whether her actions were right or wrong. Uh, perhaps a, good, <laughs> a longer sleep would have led to better decisions. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? When we're talking about sleep, then, is quality more important than quantity? Yes. Now, now you, you, you lead into another area. We've been talking so far of what we call uh, lack of sleep, less sleep, sleep deprivation. I, I hate all the different classifications. That each particular definition has a flaw. Um, people talk about deficits, deprivation, lack. Anyway, uh, less sleep than you should is one uh, category. So it's a quantity of sleep. But the other very important function is the quality of sleep. And lots of people suffer from uh, not sleeping well throughout the night. You, know, you and me have, have a lot of examples where and what we call sometimes sleep fragmentation. So you sleep 10 hours, but you wake up 10 times <laughs> during those 10 hours and, and you, know, you get up and down. And that, that is as bad as not sleeping much. So I think we, we consider either sleep uh, insufficient sleep 
or fragmented sleep, both um, causes of excessive sleepiness. Mm. Uh, we refer usually to daytime sleepiness if you don't work shift hours. And that is the actual symptom, the excessive sleepiness, which then leads to the neurobehavioral deficits and the performance deficits, which then lead to increased morbidity or mortality and also decreased quality of life. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, many of us are turning to various supplements and uh, medical support in order to either mm. stay awake. Mm. So, for example, I mean, I've already had two coffees this morning mm. um, to help, which actually helping us get to sleep. Mm. Um, and I work on the assumption that this isn't probably doing us any good whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I, I think we have, to, you're right, there are two areas. One is people would like more sleep and you know, the, the, the the area of the sleeping tablets is something that probably has been uh, grossly abused mm. uh, in our countries, in many other countries, uh, as a quick solution to problems. Sometimes sleep, sleeping tablets are given to people with conditions we, which uh, are serious and one of the symptoms of which may be lack of sleep. And I'm talking about depression, mm. those you can have more sleep, anxiety, uh, other uh, neurological conditions. Uh, but outside those areas, I think the best would be to have a good sleep hygiene and trying to, which is another very, very bad word for, uh, which means having, putting in place a number of routine measures in order to make your environment as conducive to sleep as, as possible in your home, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, to allow you to go to sleep nicely. Now, how many people, perhaps you and me, uh, have a TV set in, in the bedroom? Uh, that's a very bad idea. Uh, how many take the laptop now with the Wi-Fi in your bed before you need to check your email? That's a very bad attitude. So I think the the indications of the experts are to really create an environment where, in your bedroom, if you sleep in your bedroom, or maybe in any other room where you sleep, <laughs> where that is the place where you uh, go into routine which will lead you to sleep. So uh, not a very bright light. Mm. Uh, try not to have a TV or anything else, or a radio, or don't bring your computer there. Uh, and that's booked by the, the the side table. Maybe a good idea because maybe be helping you get getting into the the, the sleep pattern. Uh, very important the, the so-called hygiene type of um, idea is to have a routine where you don't have a caffeine, a tea, or you have heavy meals close to the time you go to bed. Alcohol. Don't smoke. Mm. You shouldn't smoke at all. But if you do, try not to smoke closer to the time you go to bed. All these things will allow you to have a routine and do always the same thing, mm. and this will facilitate falling asleep. I suppose. I suppose we we t- we those of us with children apply those rules to our children rigorously. Yes, but we don't not, do it to ourselves. Yourself. You're right. You're right. Now that is exactly what you should do. And very few people do. And there's always a justification of the busy life. Now we all do it. We all make mistakes mm. and that kind. Uh, but I think that is suggested to be the right way, or perhaps for a normal person without any particular pathological condition, uh, to avoid um, taking sleeping tablets or anything like that. The other area you, you touched upon is uh, pharmacological help to improve uh, wakefulness. So in other words, it's the other side of the coin is to how to stay awake when, when you need to be awake. And, and there have been, over the past few years, great developments in, the, in, in these uh, areas, going from the very dangerous amphetamine-type drugs that lots of people were taking, and even caffeine in excess. It's quite a, a, 
dangerous or not very uh, healthy uh, drug to take. Caffeine is a drug, uh, and given the high concentration causes cardiovascular effects, as well as keep you awake for a few uh, minutes. Uh, sometimes there is a false reassurance of the use of caffeine, particularly when you drive. Uh, it's not a good substitute to sleep. And in some circumstances, there are, there are now drugs available on the market which have been mainly used in, uh, tested originally in um, long-haul pilots or people flying long hours, um, in astronauts, and more recently in shift workers where you have to be awake. Mm. In that case, there are uh, drugs available, pretty safe, uh, which allow you to be awake with all the pluses of the wakefulness state. In other words, alertness, performance activity, cognitive function, all those things improved, which can be taken to allow you to go through uh, a, a time where you need to perform, although you haven't had enough sleep. Mm. Um, you, you've, you've said in the past that um, there's not enough attention given to sleep as part of uh, medical training for yes. new doctors in the UK. Yes. Um, do you think that's a situation that needs to be improved? Absolutely, absolutely. The statistics in the, UK, in, in the medical schools in the UK are appalling uh, 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 as far as the, the structured teaching of sleep medicine within the medical curriculum. Uh, a few years ago, not myself, somebody reported in a survey, it may not be comprehensive, between 5 and 20 minutes in the whole medical curriculum devoted to sleep medicine. When I talk about sleep medicine, I uh, refer to the whole range of study the physiology of sleep, the, 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 the social impact and the health impacts of sleep deprivation or, or, or long-time sleep, uh, all the way down to the spectrum of uh, the pathological Areas and in fact, if you then go into the how much time is spent of those twenty minutes or five five to twenty minutes, the majority is spent to sleep apnea syndrome, which is the commonest um, disease within the respiratory area uh, specialty, which leads to uh, lack of sleep or fragmented sleep because you snore, uh, you have um, periods of apnea or lack of oxygen to your brain. And this leads to being very sleepy during the day, and that's been eventually associated with um, lots of problems. If you imagine the majority of lorry drivers are obese, mm. obesity leads is one of the risk factors of sleep apnea syndrome. Many lorry drivers suffer from sleep apnea syndrome, so car crashes have been uh, high on headlines uh, in the headlines in the, in the last few years. Now that is a preventable condition by using what is called CPAP. Uh, is is a pressure waste uh, mechanism whereby with a little machine you can push the high pressure oxygen through your nose when you sleep at night and that would prevent you from going into apnea uh, moments in other words a lack of oxygen mm. and that leads to a prevention of sleepiness during the day and prevention of other problems but beyond that situation very little is taught about it at work now we're having embarked into, uh, uh, as I said, in, in a big program with Professor Peel and myself, in which one of the, or one of the um, big agendas are Im improving the teaching around sleep medicine in general. We have already started a few years ago with a special study module that students uh, are offered, and uh, we're now running the third year, and the, the take-up of this special study module, which 
involves more than 10 to 12 hours of direct teaching mm. uh, just in one uh, term um, has led to an exponential take up from 10 to 20 to 40 students now. So that's very successful. And now we're working towards the creation of a postgraduate course in sleep medicine at Warwick. So Warwick will be leading in the UK uh, this sort of mission in creating more awareness about sleep medicine amongst the medical profession. Franco, thank you very much. Thank you. If you'd like to comment on anything you've heard in this podcast, then you can do so by visiting www.warwick.ac.uk.